I think it's a lovely song, a lovely arrangement, but it's just not right for our group. I don't think it helped the group at all. and welcome back to the Ceylon Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. So happy to be back. Thank you guys for giving us a little time off there. We sure needed it. I've been crazy busy, as always, <laughs> biting off more than I can chew. But uh, here we are. We're back. Um, I had a great trip to Japan last week and uh, brought back a Beach Boys 45 a uh, Japanese edition of Good Vibrations. I have several Japanese Beach Boys 45s, and I love the art on those. I think it's just really cool, so it's cool to have it. And uh, yeah, so back in Nashville uh, with a new episode for you guys. Lots more Sunflower to come, of course. I want to say a big shout-out to some listeners of the show that I got to see recently at uh, some sale on band shows. Ian, Sam, and Grady. Great seeing you guys. Um, also, big shout out to Giggins, who I saw again um, at our show recently up in Connecticut. Um, great seeing you, buddy. And uh, always thank you guys for supporting the show, the patrons of the show that keep the show running over on the sale on Patreon page. The newest ones being Francisco, Levi, and Mark. You guys are awesome. Really appreciate you. And anybody that wants to check it out should go to patreon.com slash on for tons of bonus content and lots more coming in the pipeline. Very exciting stuff. We have a great show today. I won't waste any more time. Let's get back into the Sunflower Sessions with Will and John. I'm thinking about it this whole world. Hey everyone, Will and I are back to talk more Sunflower Sessions. Uh, we left off last time in November of 1969. And we're going to go through a whole bunch of songs today, starting with This Whole World. Too many songs, too, too little time. Yes. 
Yes. Um, All right. This whole world. This is a another big Brian. One. Yeah. yeah, big important one that we left off last time, last time because there's a lot to talk about with it, and we didn't prepare enough for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is like one of the big ones of the Sunflower period, and um, I guess yeah. But Brian said one time that he wrote it at like three in the morning. He came downstairs stoned and confused and uh, wrote it at the organ. So that kind of sets the scene for this whole world. Yeah. You know, it kind of sounds like a song that was written stoned and confused at 3 a.m. Uh, jumps around a lot lyrically. It's uh, it's a bit of a strange one. Uh, it's not it's not common for Brian to write a whole song and have no lyrical collaborator. And I don't know. It kind of shows on this one. I wouldn't I wouldn't say the lyrics are bad, but they're very. They're very Brian Wilson. Yeah, well, the whole, uh, the, the middle part when girls get mad, mad at boys is like, it sounds really clearly like it was like a separate song fragment that he wrote and then just sort of put it in there because it fit, but he didn't change any lyrics. So yeah, it does. <laughs> it does come off that way. It's it's a little bit random. It's not really a verse chorus song. It's just kind of a song in four pieces that repeats on a loop, and it goes through four different keys uh, twice. And then goes back to the original, so it's it's what a two-minute song, and it's got nine key changes in it. Yeah, or like really eight key changes fast, and they're all things that like if you play them next to each other, it doesn't really make any sense. But it's the way you kind of like there's like a chord change, like every like every single measure there's a chord change in this. There's like so many different places it goes to, um, and then somehow he sort of makes it naturally just fit together in a way that like if if you're a first-time listener, you don't really notice that it's doing all this, but it's just constantly moving and going different places and it really kind of musically fits the lyric as well that it feels like you're sort of traveling and hitting all these different emotions and notes so quickly like it's it's amazing how much information is sort of packed into such a short piece of music yeah and it's not like god only knows or anything where the key is is sort of ambiguous because it's there are these direct shifts in the key of the song it goes from c to a to c sharp to b flat and then back to c and then back to C and and loops back through and it's 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 a really cool effect because it keeps the whole thing moving. It, it's a really driving song, um, and that's in the in the arrangement as well. So let's talk about the the production. Okay, yeah. So this is November 13, 69. This is like two days after Out My Window. And Brian did the session in the home studio just by himself with Desper. I don't think any other Beach Boys were there. Um, so it's kind of classic back to Brian in the control room with a lot of musicians and no other Beach Boys helping out on this one. Um, the people playing on it were some kind of some familiar faces, some not. Uh, Jerry Cole and David Cohen on guitars. Jerry Cole's playing like just these sort of like power chords throughout the whole thing, like driving it, which is not very usual for the Beach Boys. It feels sort of quite contemporary rock in a way that, you know, most Brian Wilson songs at the time weren't. It's it's kind of the, the this song is kind of like the biggest indication that Brian was listening to what was going on on the radio at the time, um, compared to with the other Sunflower stuff. Um, and David Cohen as well is doing the thing that Brian typically has him do on a lot of these songs. He was clearly one of Brian's favorite session guitarists and he kind of let, just lets him play his own sort of riffing melodic things. And this is kind of playing like a, like a sort of rockabilly country 
licks all over the place, and it's one of like the best instrumental instrumental performances on a Beach Boy song. Like he's, it's a it's a really cool guitar part that unfortunately gets dead buried in the final mix. It's really quiet, and you have to listen to like hard to to make it out in some key moments. But um, it's there in like the track and back and vocals remix that they did. And if you listen to um, Jocelyn Hoisington, our good pal's channel on YouTube, she did kind of a transcription of um, the guitar parts and played them through kind of like perfectly um, accurate to the original so you can hear what's going on in there and there's some really interesting stuff. Um, Brian was kind of just given a few pointers but otherwise these two are sort of just going off on their own thing especially in the bridge section or B section whatever you want to call it where they kind of both blend these lead parts off each other. Um, there's two basses which um, you sometimes get on a Beach Boys song, but it's not something that shows up too often these days. It's Ray Pullman playing a six-string bass, and Jack Conrad, who's been on some of the touring band stuff and some other recent sessions, playing another bass. Um, the basses are kind of static in this one. It's sort of a sort of just a, like a driving, like they're just playing simple sort of quarter notes on the root note throughout the entire song, pretty much. Um, which I, I guess is kind of all they can do because there's so much chord movement that like. It would maybe get too busy and complicated if they did anything else. So it's it's quite a simple part, and you don't hear the basses too much. But they're sort of just there to anchor the feeling of it. Um, it's this sort of like omnipresent sort of lumpiness at the bottom of the track. Um, Gene Estes, he's classic Wrecking Crew guy. He's playing these uh, chimes in the verse sections or A sections, and then a glockenspiel in the B sections, which is really nice. I think the bells are like they really sort of add like this nice sort of orchestral feel to it and Dennis Dragon the um the other Dragon brother is playing drums on this one and he's, he's again sort of atypical for Brian he's playing a sort of quite normal just rock beat on the drums just he's got liberty to play his own fills and he's kind of going crazy on the toms in some places um yeah it's, it's, it's a pretty cool track it's quite tight there's not a lot of people playing on it just a sort of simple-ish driving sort of rocky rhythm track yeah, um, it, it does feel very contemporary, late 60s in a way that, you know, something like At My Window or all these other songs we've been talking about don't. Um, those kind of go off into, you know, typical Brian Wilson, Pet Soundsy territory. And this is, this is probably the, the heaviest uh, contribution from him to these sessions. Um, I wonder what, you know what the influence would have been for for something like this but a lot of credit does go to the musicians who are doing quite a bit of improvising on this track yeah um, I, I really wonder what what Brian was listening to like at this point in the late 60s I don't really hear a lot about what he was into at this time no I'm this is this is one of the most quiet periods of his life in terms of uh, press coverage and and you know interviews and and all that so it's it's kind of hard to know what brian was was getting himself into yeah i mean uh, he was he was at the radish he was you know he was <laughs> um in the early 70s he was kind of surrounded by all of these characters who we've heard from but i think at this point his circle of friends was still quite quite small he was kind of hanging out with arnie Geller and people like that and and um you know we, we don't know a lot about his life sort of from 68 69 1970 and then it sort of in the 70s we kind of pick up on some of his influences like he was listening to you know Randy Newman and things like that but um, yeah it's just yeah. It, this one really could have it feels like this this was like kind of his big um, 
important songwriting contribution. You know, the rest of his stuff at the time that he was writing was often quite sort of light and and simple. And this is alongside "Till I Die," one of his sort of heavier efforts. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it's the sort of thing that it sounds like it sounds radio friendly. It sounds commercial, but also like completely unique at the same time. I think uh, mm -hmm. Bruce said that this one is in every key. It's in the key of Beach Boys. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so the track on top of that, at the initial session, Brian overdubbed the Celeste part, which sort of tinkles this nice little part in the intro, and then it's sort of just there throughout. And then later on, they added some more instruments, which included um, a piano that's kind of buried in there, just again, sort of comping the rhythm. Um, an acoustic guitar, which is really hard to hear, that's just like playing on the upbeats in the A sections, like it, just like when girls get together. Um, so it just meshes in with the snare drum. And then there are some timbales, like sort of playing in the B sections that are again really quiet and hard to hear. And I wonder if Carl added these extra instruments or something, because he's credited as a co-producer on the Ten Years of Harmony soundtrack. Well, he isn't on Atom Music, so it makes you wonder what contribution mm. Carl had in bringing this thing along. But I don't know, maybe it's just a thing where he was kind of working close with Brian as it got through the finish line. But um, yeah, so yeah. cool track. Very cool track, and this is one of the most layered-sounding vocal arrangements as well. Um, so let's talk about those. There's 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 a lot going on here. The track is cool and it's and it's really driving and it's really rhythmic, but it's it's really just kind of a a foundation for all these um all these vocal parts and. The main vocals, the main backing vocals, the Aum Dat did it. That's all six Beach Boys. Um, it's a six-part harmony, I believe, right? I think it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's doubled all the way through. Yeah, or like five parts, and then I think it like goes off into six at one point. I'm thinking about it, this whole world. Aum Dat did it. Aum Dat did it. Aum Dat did it. And it's a, it's a really unique vocal part that often often gets brought up by them as sort of just an example of Brian being really inventive. And it's kind of, I think that this is one of the ones that stands out because the way it kind of blends like this sort of like old school Beach Boys do up kind of influence with like this sort of Eastern spiritualism with like the Om Dot Did It type thing. It's like, it's like halfway between the sort of mysticism and like this old school do up type vocal phrase, which makes it sort of really interesting and it's like a big rich harmony as well. Um, it's just really interesting vocal arrangement stuff going on in this. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of extra parts that are added into different sections of the song. Um, and a lot of these parts they were experimenting with, now that they had 16 tracks, uh, just recording the vocals in stereo rather than doubling them. Uh, so there's quite a bit of that, and you can kind of hear it if you listen to the song with headphones. Um, especially the new uh, track mix that's on the Feel Flows box set um, where you have all the backing vocals in there or the uh, the acapella mix on, on Made in California. Yeah, they, they didn't do that on many songs, doing vocals in stereo, but this was the kind of the time where they were 
at the peak of experiment, experimenting with what they can do in stereo. And it's like not very many songs at all. So for it to show up on a Brian song is kind of unusual because he, you know, obviously he's got one ear. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, you know, if you listen to like that acapella, Old Man River, the vocals there are in stereo and there's some things like some of the back end in like Disney Girls and stuff, they did it, but it's not a very common thing, but it's, it's quite a, kind of a cool sound. Um, again, like the, the vocal arrangement, it's all, all the Beach Boys singing on this. And then in the first sort of B section or chorus, you've got completely different parts to the second one where it kind of breaks off into all these different overlapping vocal parts, some of which got quite buried in the final mix, but you've, um, especially in the second time that section comes around, you've got Brian doing this um, sort of wordless high part that's featured prominently in the mix. Um, and it's an interesting sound, like Brian's voice. I think if this is the one where you maybe notice that Brian's definitely doesn't sound like he used to. He's got like a very shrill mm trebly sort of cutting thing going on with his high voice at this point that's very prominent here the vocals in general in this track sound quite strange like they sound very compressed and like all the the mid-range is sort of sucked out of them it's like they wanted like a particular sound with this um that's sometimes a bit kind of grating but it was obviously an intentional thing they were going for it's it's almost like they're coming out of a transistor radio sometimes um... Yeah, so Brian, Brian, you you do hear that that sort of readiness um, in his upper range. It's it was thinning out a bit at this time, um, and also if you listen to some of the alternate mixes out there, uh, Brian sang the lead vocal in that in that first bridge, the "When Girls Get Mad at Boys and Go" part, and he kind of. It's kind of it's it sounds like it's a, a little bit of a struggle to hit those last notes on the multi-track and you can kind of hear it in the final mix you've got brian and mike sing the opening line together or like mike more prominently i guess but it's both of them there carl doing the verses he did like a different performance and then brian on that b section and brian's vocal take is kind of unusual it's not like a, a really solid vocal that he could have done if he did some more takes of it, I guess. But he sounds very sort of strained and he kind of, his voice cracks on the word mad. Um, and then he's kind of struggles at the end. Um, then it seems like Carl went back and redid the entire vocal himself. So you've got Carl double tracked in the middle and then the intro. You mainly hear Carl singing the opening line himself. And then you've got Mike and Brian kind of pushed to the side. Um, and, then, I, and this is one of the cases where I think, like, I know we debate, go back and forth on Breakaway, but I think Carl did a much better job in the that little bridge section, his vocal there. It's one of Carl's best vocals. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, but it is it is interesting to hear Brian sing it just as an alternate, but yeah, Carl kills it on this. Yeah, especially towards the end when he does that wordless part, when it goes in the acapella breakdown. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah, so good. I mean, this song was recorded to be a bit longer. 
originally. Like they kind of just loop the progression over and over again until Brian tells them it's they've got it. And then what they did is they only used part of that when they added the vocals. I think, you know, they did it on some songs like, you know, Friends and Wake the World, where they would sort of just loop a track for a while and then they didn't write enough lyrics to cover all of those repeats. So it ended up being shorter than when they added vocals to it. So that's um, that, that acapella ending was kind of like a mixed decision. Um, it was originally just like a normal fade out where they'd continue over the verse part. And then I guess it was probably Carl's decision if he was a producer. I mean, that's some assuming, but um, he was kind of the one mostly responsible for the mix downs. And some of the mixed outtakes have like this strange sort of idea to have it goes into acapella at the end, but then like bring the track back up every couple of beats and then back down and didn't really work out. So they ended up just going to a full acapella thing. Um, it was kind of interesting, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how much information and musical ideas are packed into less than two minutes of song on this one. It just flies by so quickly. Oh yeah, it's incredible. And just to talk about uh, Carl a little bit more on this song, I think this is one of my favorite lead vocals from him ever mm. that he ever recorded. Um, and especially, like you said, that last part where it turns acapella and you have all the backing vocals that were over that track just kind of holding out a note and he's he comes in just kind of soaring over the top and then and then it goes back into the Aum Dot did it. That's just so cool. It sounds so good. This is this is the one that I think should have been the single. I mean, the lead, the opening track of the album, it should have been the lead single of the whole thing. It's it's just hmm. seems so obvious, but they didn't do it for some reason. Um, and it's just like it's. I think the the lyrics. I mean, obviously you've got that strange sort of disconnect in the in the middle, but it sort of just fly. It flies by so fast that it manages to work. Um, and it's just such a Brian Wilson like. It's it's such a Brian Wilson lyric, just so innocent and sort of hopeful. And kind of like naive, um, but it manages to sort of just feel universal at the same time um, in this one. And the the, the next line in the, the spring version that they did um, in '71, um, the Brian added like an extra couple of lines to the end when they did like an, a third verse in there that I really like that were kind of wish with it in this one. It's um, uh, later night. I think about the love of this whole world repeats the first verse and then goes uh, different kinds of people all the same, which is a nice sort of ending to wrap it all up. But they, he didn't think of that in time for this one. But it's yeah, one one of the best, one of the best Beach Boys songs, hands down. On Sunflower, it's definitely, definitely up there for me. But I know I've said all I want to do and cool, cool water might be my top two. Yeah, so this me might too. have to be a. But th- this is, this is such a great song, and it's, it's never one that I skip when it comes on. It's. I mean, it's so short. <laughs> you might as well yeah. listen to it, anyways. I don't think the mix is very good in the end. Like, Carl's lead vocal is so much louder than everything else. Like, it kind of misses some punch, but um, it's like nothing technically wrong with it. I just think it's kind of a limp sort of mix. Uh, and then, I guess one more thing, actually, before we move on to anything else, um, so we don't have to talk about it like in a later episode. In 1971, they were. Sort of commissioned to do some music for like this Eastern Airlines um, commercial, 
And then for that, I think without Brian's involvement, they, they did some work on this whole world to sort of turn it into like a little commercial jingle. Um, it's kind of interesting what they did to it. And it's on the Field Force box set, but it's just tagged as an alternate version. It doesn't really explain what it was for. This is in March 71. They copied the tape and then kind of like over the second, I guess, bridge section, they sort of stripped it down and then added some new parts with this kind of like really smartsy Bruce vocal arrangement over the top of it. With, I think, just mostly Carl and Bruce just stacking all the different harmonies. And it's kind of pretty. It's very ex extremely Bruce, but it's a nice, it's a really interesting thing to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is nice. I mean, I, I prefer the, the way the original ends, but it is a cool alternate to have. Up next, we got Where Is She, a track that lingered in the vaults until it came out uh, about 10 years ago on the Made in California box set. First and foremost, it's it's very obviously influenced by She's Leaving Home by the Beatles. Yeah, which Paul played for Brian before it was out in um, the studio in 67, so that was a song that really left an impression on Brian for a long time. Oh yeah, he said he'd, he got tears and everything when that happened, so... He got tears in the morning... Uh, <laughs> yes so um yeah both musically and lyrically that that influence is pretty apparent here and this track this is one of very few tracks out there where instead of using the beach boys or any musicians brian just went ahead and did the entire thing himself uh so this was a day in the studio uh that probably just included him and steve desper and uh, it started off with a, a Rhythm King uh, drum beat, and Brian just added every single instrument himself. It, it started off with a piano and a bass that you don't hear in the mix yeah. for reasons we'll explain later. Yeah, but, they, got, um, they got erased, so kind of like the foundation. I mean, the um, sort of steady Rhythm King beat that it was played to is still there on the track, but it's not on the tape but it wasn't using the mixes but there was like a, a piano and bass that got sort of like taped over for reasons we'll get into later but that's kind of the reason it sounds so sparse and unusual it's kind of like a, a skeleton of of the song is left over on the tape where can, she, where can she be if she's not here with me where where can she be there's only a few instruments on here. Brian's organ uh, is just sort of steadily holding out the chords the whole time. Uh, there are these little guitar stabs that I guess were played by Brian. And... Or not stabs, but just these held notes. Yeah, but, single notes. Well, sort of little counter melodies in places, and there's like a harmony to itself, and it's these two mm -hmm. guitar lines. And they've got mistakes in them as well, which is how you know Brian played them. It's He's doing sort of what he would play on a bass. Um, <clears throat> just these single note melodies on, a, on an electric guitar. Um, there are plenty of mistakes in the organ part, too. Uh, the, 
the tape for this song is really a mess. The uh, the mix they did, they had to do a lot of a lot of fixing on that to make it presentable. Yeah, the, the main um, California mixes are really, very well done to mask kind of the mistakes and all the things, the, the clutter left on the tape. Um, the Feel Flows one, kind of a less successful redo of that, but um, the way it was left was not in a sort of releasable state um, as Brian recorded it. Other things going on here, there's um, the, the Rhythm King that was used. I, I mean, we've sort of just brought the, uh, the Rhythm King up out of nowhere, but this is going to be an instrument the Beach Boys keep coming back to for a while. It was a, a, a sort of quite primitive um, drum machine um, when they were starting to become a thing. And this one in particular was uh, Maestro Rhythm King Mark II. Um, it, was, it was there to sort of just hold the tempo on the basic track that you don't hear in the release mix, but... On top of that, Brian was kind of pushing the buttons manually for some extra percussion. There's like the clave sound, and then there's um, like a conga in there, and some sort of like electronic sounding cymbals here in the background, which is qu quite interesting to hear. It's that's a very new thing to their arsenal. And Brian also played the drums on this as well. Yeah, he also overdubbed a really sloppy drum part where he's just kind of banging away on the toms. It's pretty cool though. And, it's like uh, all these nice sort of because of accents and it, it's it's a very interesting instrumental arrangement it is yeah despite how sort of loose it was played very loose and we're missing the um two of the instruments that probably would have tied it together uh quite nicely yeah you, you can hear the bass line still if you listen closely to it you can hear it leaking in through monitor bleed on different tracks like i, I tried to transcribe it once and re-record it but i think i got a few things wrong but you can hear you can hear that bass line that, that would have been running throughout it, like still leaking into the through the speakers or the headphones as Brian added the other instruments. Right. And this is also sung by Brian. Uh, there's three different parts that he added here where he's just sometimes double tracked, sometimes harmonizing with himself. And um, there's not much more to it. It's just a, a, a total Brian Wilson production in every way. Uh, featuring only him, which is which is pretty cool itself. Yeah, and it, the the song itself is um, it's just a nice little waltz. It's not too complicated, but it's again got some some very high up singing from Brian, where he, he sounds again quite his his voice is thinned out a lot compared to the way he used to sound. But it's still a, a really good vocal from him. It's rare to hear him do like all the you know like a like a sort of. I don't know, powerful lead vocal at this point all by himself because he was given all of his songs to the different Beach Boys instead of using his own voice on them. Wonder if she's coming home I wonder if she's wonder coming home Wonder if she's all alone Wasting her time I'm losing my mind The, the lyric is quite interesting it's it's this sort of like I, I don't know it's, it's it's kind of slice of life I guess in a way um, just Brian writing his thoughts down but it's this kind of this paranoia creeping in about um, where his love interest is and stuff and it's, it's I don't know it's an interesting lyric I don't know what you can say about it but it's it's comes from that same pool of Brian writing like these these very insecure love songs um, and the, the lyric itself is clearly inspired a little bit by um, "She's Leaving Home" as well. But it's I, yeah, I, I think it, I, I really wish it was on the album. But they didn't get very far with taking it to the final stage of production. Like they left it on the outtakes reel 
It's sort of just buried on there. And then part of it was um, the piano and bass tracks ended up being taped over, um, which seems like it must have been at Brian's request to like just abandon the song that you use the tape for something else. Because I can't imagine someone else willingly going and doing that. But um, for some reason on this tape, instead of where the piano and bass should be, um, they kind of cut off. And Al recorded like this sort of writing session for Take a Lot Off Your Feet. Just like sort of 10 minutes of him sitting strumming his guitar while Brian and Marilyn are nodding around the house in the background. Um, it's an unusual thing to happen. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about this writing session? Yeah, I guess we'll we'll talk about the song properly when they recorded it soon. But uh, this "Take a Lot Off Your Feet" thing was written by Al with his old pal Gary Winfrey, who used to be in the Islanders or the Tiki's with, and um, back at high school. Um, and Gary was kind of visiting Al's family for a while in late '69. Gary's wife, I think it's, her name is Sandy. I'm not sure. I probably should have reread it before this. She was pregnant at the time, and her her ankles were swollen up because of her pregnancy. And then between that, Al sort of appreciating his new Birkenstock sandals, um, sandals and the um, song Hair that was a recent hit uh, by the Cowsills, they were like, why not write a song about feet, about ankles and taking care of your feet? And then because of that, this whole idea of a feet care song um, came about. So the, the, they, they wrote um, that and Looking At Tomorrow together at the same sort of time. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about the recording properly when they got to it, but um, yeah, yeah, like it's so Al Jardine to write a, a foot care song about his Birkenstocks. Um, Absolutely. So so that's that's the reason why, that where she kind of sounds so sparse, because there was like a normal what's time piano in there, there was a bass line, there was drum machine, but that sort of ended up not being left on the tape. So what's left of it is kind of reconstructed as this kind of like sparse, experimental sounding arrangement of... Um, of the track that works pretty well especially the mic mix that sort of it ties it in really well um that was recorded sometime there's no date for it but it would have been between november and january around these sessions um so yeah good song glad it finally still saw the light of day and i think it's something that should have been developed and included on sunflower and maybe polished up a bit but i don't, I don't know maybe brian just was insecure about this one it's the only song of its type from the time where brian did a whole thing and produced it to that level and then sort of just left it set it aside yeah um, yeah and and steve desper has told stories about how brian would record entire songs and then ask him to erase them or tape over them so it's possible this was another one of those situations yeah now let's talk about a song that did make the album tears in the morning oh Will's favorite song. <laughs> I, I don't hate it. I just don't think it like has anything to do with what interests me about the Beach Boys. Like it's a fine mm. song by itself. It's like the absolute peak of Bruce Smoltz. Um, Smoltz? No, Schmaltz. I, <laughs> I made up a new word there, but um, it was another sort well, of... Well, you know, I think I think Bruce Johnston agrees with you. Yeah, he he wasn't a fan of this song being... A Beach Boys thing, he kind of like, I mean, at the time he obviously was, he was taking this opportunity to get some of his own songwriting out there and he kind of performed it on stage when they did concerts as his solo sort of Elton John type set on the piano. I know the other Beach Boys apparently were really, really grumpy about that because people went wild for it, but um, it's, 
it's sort of just a melodrama. It's like a fake breakup song. That's like as dramatic as you can be with lines like, hope you know, <laughs> hope you love the baby I'm never gonna see. And Bruce just sort of, he said he had no personal investment in this, it was just showbiz. And um, that's why I wrote it. Uh, it's another arrangement collaboration with uh, Michel Columbia, the French guy he was pals with, he worked on Deirdre. It was recorded, mm -hmm. the basic track was recorded at Brian's house on November 18th. Uh, do you have anything to say about this? About the track? Just anything, anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very European sounding. Um, yeah. And I think it was actually a hit in some places in Europe. Yeah, it was. I think it did quite well in Holland. Uh, There's quite kind of this ongoing Dutch connection with the Beach Boys that will obviously end up becoming a thing in a few years. But uh, yeah, they, quite a few other songs did quite well over there, including Tears. I guess the track we'll talk about Brian wasn't there for the track and session Carl was again kind of helping out as Bruce's go-to sort of sounding board Bruce played the piano on this Star Dragon played the rock accord uh, a few Wrecking Crew guys were here Ron Benson played acoustic guitar and mandolin uh, Ray Pullman played bass Hal Blaine played the drums uh, Carl Fortina was on that accordion part that was scored out by um, Michelle Columbia that's like the really European part of it, like that sort of um, that, that accordion throughout the whole thing. Uh, there's a the accordion and the uh, and the mandolin. Yeah, as well. definitely. Yeah, there was a, there was a vibraphone played by Daryl, and that's pretty much the track. I mean, later on there were some overdub sessions, like they added some some very dramatic shrill trumpets to it on January 9th, and then it was part of a big string session. They had to overdub several songs on January 26th. There was a large string session added to this. It's a nice piece of music. Bruce playing the solo piano part with this sort of swell of horns at the end, and it's very, again, very dramatic sounding as the the thing keeps coming back to in this. It's a it's a melodrama song. Um, I think he was inspired by some Frank Sinatra thing on that one. He said. I know that Carl had a hand in producing this, but it really sort of comes off as just a Bruce solo piece. I mean, it, 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 like you said, it doesn't sound much like the Beach Boys. If you played this to someone and asked them what band it was, uh, you, pr you probably wouldn't get a correct answer. 
out of anyone who is unfamiliar with the song. Mm. Um, which is fine. Um, you know, we kind of have more Beach Boys as as soloists on this on this album, and you have Dennis doing a few songs that are very Dennis-y, like Got to Know the Woman. But um, yeah, not not a song I go back to much. Me neither. Yeah, it was for some reason it was released as a single with "It's About Time" as the B side, which is like such a strange decision. They they their singles at this time were all over the place in terms of the things they decided to to put out there as the A sides and B sides. Because um, "It's About Time" is obviously like the more commercial sort of contemporary thing but you know it still did like you said well in Europe um, an odd thing to be putting out as a, as a single for the group but um, yeah the, the the vocals in this we're not sure if Brian sings in this or not but this is at least like Carl and Al and stuff are on there I think the backing vocals are really corny um, I'm not a fan of the vocal arrangement at all there's that little 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 part which just makes me think of Patrick Starr in that one Spongebob episode you know what I'm talking about don't you yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's Tears in the Morning. Bruce redid his lead vocal a few months later when they were re putting together the album after it had been rejected. And originally, Bruce had this double vocal that was recorded with the tape speed a little bit faster. So Bruce sounds, I mean, slower. I mean, so Bruce is kind of sped up and sounds quite edgy. But when you redid it, it's much more kind of like laid back um, solo vocal. And that's, that's the song. Well, you know I lit a candle It's in my heart now where it glows Day and night feel my light, it's gonna stand till My heart believes in what you chose I won't let nobody carry this load for me. Guess I'll keep a hold on my sorrow. I've got to feel now all that you see. And I've got tears. Oh yeah, after this is when they did their Thanksgiving tour that was reportedly like, this is, Fred Fale described it as like the lowest point of their commercial fortunes. Like they were mm. playing to like these empty auditoriums with hardly anyone showing up. Um, they, you know, it's like in late in November, they went out and did a few shows. And um, yeah, this, this, is, this is apparently like just really bad attendance. Like nobody shows up to these shows. It was like kind of the the lowest dip of their popularity sort of. And then when they go back from tour in December, 
they kind of took some time off, probably working on vocals from, for some things. And then they got to work, recorded some more songs. Yeah, let's let's talk about those songs. This is on December 23rd, 1969, just before Christmas. Um, they started. They recorded some more things, and Dennis put down this track for something at the time that was just labeled Dennis Piano Interlude, but it was actually an early version of Wouldn't It Be Nice To Live Again, the song that was recorded for the Surf's Up album in 71, but uh, was left unreleased for many, many years until the Made in California box set. Um, this is a song that was written with Stan Shapiro, who was a friend of Dennis and Brian at the time, and uh, a guy with an interesting social media presence that you do not want to read. Um, but basically, th- th- what I think the story behind this song was Stan's girlfriend left him for someone else, and he wrote like this long letter, like sort of trying to convince her to take him back, and then part of it was the lyrics of this song, and Dennis kind of convinced him to let him turn it into a song about music to it and record it for the Beach Boys. Um, and Dennis put down quite a, a simple backing track for it during these sessions that was nowhere near finished and then sort of just put it away for a while. Um, it was just Dennis playing piano and then he added some other piano parts and like a basic drum. But the song, besides a few different chord changes, was all there. Dennis was singing the lyrics off mic. Um, it's pretty much like pretty, fairly fully realized besides the coda at this point. Um, and it was one of these little sort of like fragmentary tracks that was sort of just shelved as quickly as it was recorded. And because of that, it wasn't on the Field Clothes box set. Um, and also, interestingly, during the session, Brian, sorry, no, not Brian, Dennis, he played a little bit of the uh, Barbara Bridge, which again was recorded a couple of years later. But it was clearly clear that Dennis was stocking up on a lot of songs at this point that he was not showing anyone. He was sort of just waiting and biding his time until he could get them all on tape. And the next one is that they recorded on Christmas Eve. Um, they did a track for a new version of Back Home, the song that was first recorded by Brian in 1963 by Brian and his roommate Bob, uh, Bob Norberg. Do you want to lead off on talking about this one? Yeah, so this is a song that had been kicking around for a long time. Uh, he recorded it as sort of a, a side project during the Surfer Girl sessions. And I think he meant to release that as a single, uh, pro- not under the Beach Boys name, just just a, you know, one of one of his many side projects where he he takes on a, a fake band or artist <laughs> name. Yeah, it was like a, a Johnny Doo type sort of situation, but we don't know what the name he was going to come up with for this one. Yeah, so, um, that version of the song is nice. Uh, both of these came out on Made in California as well. Um, and here, six and a half years later, he's rewritten it. It's got a chorus now. It's this really jaunty track. One of the titles on that list of songs for 2020 was Neighborhood Kids, which seems to come from one of these new lyrics for the song. So it's, it's possible that he had been toying with the song for a long time. And, and planning to re-record it for for at least a year at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the thing about this one is the original lyrics of it were like a country song, sort of. It was about like going mm-hmm. back to Ohio and living out on the farm. And th- this time, um, it's kind of country in the music as well. It's kind of like a country rock sort of arranged thing. The track, um, was it, it was all the Beach Boys playing on this one, the basic track. I mean, there's kind of a misconception that Al Jardine produced this thing just because he ended up singing 
lead on it, but it, this was still Brian's project. He was the one who kind of took the lead in producing this and was most involved in, you know, writing it. He wrote the lyrics that everyone thinks Al wrote, for starters. But yeah, the basic track for this one, it was car playing, acoustic guitar, very simple rhythm track. Dennis and Brian were kind of like sharing drum duties by themselves. It was another one of these like quite unique Brian drum beats throughout the whole thing. So yeah. like just repeating a pattern, like um, Brian was hitting the floor tom throughout this thing. And then um, Dennis was playing these different beats on like a snare and hi-hat. Uh, Al's in the background on a, on a gyro, just adding sort of little scrapes to it. And then on top of that, they just added like loads of guitars. It's a very, there's no keyboards on this track, which is rare for a Beach Boys thing. Mm-hmm. It's all just guitar based. And there's like um, these, these sort of countryish licks played by Carl and then like, I think Al played a second guitar alongside him as well, and then they added two more guitars. There's a bass on this that was overdubbed, so we're not sure who did it, but I I think it would have been Brian just based on the playing. Like, it's very sort of, it's quite loose, and there's all these sort of dirty slides all over the place that he did on a lot of songs at this time. It was very sort of just like digging into it and being quite loose with the bass line. Um, There's hand claps on this thing, there's, I think, an extra drum part was added on top of it, which makes it very rhythmic, the whole thing. And there's a mm-hmm. harmonica as well, which was played by Brian Wilson. The first time we've heard a harmonica played by Big B Doggy on the song. Um, Is that really the first time? Yeah, it's the first one. Wow. There's pictures of him playing harmonica at the party sessions, but Is I don't there? think he okay. actually. No, I, I don't think he does. Well, was... not not like seriously, just kind of walking around. Oh, okay. Him. Yeah, I it's, but, um, didn't know Brian could play harmonica until this, but he said in a '74 interview when talking about who played the harmonica on "Help Me Ronda," he was like, "Oh no, that was a musician. None of us could play harmonica." But it turns out that Brian could, um, and he plays yeah. a plays a pretty competent, quite fun sort of. I don't know, I, I really like the harmonica on this thing. He's sort of just blasting away and riffing all over the place. and Yeah. I mean, cool. it's not a hard thing to play. No, no, but still. <laughs> yeah, it is It is nice. Um, Brian really shows his versatility in this era, I feel like. Especially, yeah. you know, with Where Is She doing everything. But Definitely, he's playing harmonica, drums, guitars, bass, keyboards. He's everywhere. Yeah, and, and I like that thing they did where they... I, I really can't think of many bands that did this so often, but where they would just kind of take apart the drum kit and have each person playing a, a piece of it because the way Brian writes his drum beats is not, you know, the way most bands do. Uh, at least when he, he gets creative with it like this. Yeah, and he just kind of definitely. comes up with these these unique little patterns that are easier to play independently um, if you're not you know, a drummer. I know that the way he kind of approaches it almost is like, it's, it's like programming a drum machine, which I think is maybe the reason why the Rhythm King was so kind of appealing to Brian. It's like, it was catered to the way that he arranged drums where he would sort of just like set up mm. like a groove sort of pattern that he wanted people to play. And then they just repeat that throughout like an entire song. And it was just like a, like a backdrop for everything else. Yeah. I mean, the way he did these things is a little bit orchestral in a way or much, much mm. more so than, than typical rock. Um, discounting, you know, this whole world and, yeah, and, and yeah. all those songs where he lets the drummers just do their thing. Um, 
but anyway, this this is a really cool track. Uh, no keyboard, so that's a bit unusual for Brian. It's just a very, very guitar percussion heavy track um, that again is 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 serving as sort of just a bed for a really cool vocal arrangement. Yeah, I don't know if we've heard um, Carl play these sort of like country type licks before this, and yeah, the rhythm the rhythm guitars as well, kind of buried down in there. There's like um, they've got that sort of like. I don't know, like biting Nashville type sort of sound to them, which is, it was, they were clearly going for a, a country rock type thing on this, which is interesting because This Whole World has kind of that country feel in the lead guitar as well. And then shortly after this, Brian would ask Fred Vale to record a country album with him. So Brian was, obviously, I'm not sure who he was listening to because Brian said he, he didn't like Johnny Cash. Um, but uh, I, I don't know what his country influences yeah. were, but he was clearly tapping into some sort of country thing at this point in his... Um, in his list. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. He has the line about Joe mm. South in uh in games two can play. Yeah, that's true. Um anyways, so there are a few different sets of lyrics on this song that all got um overdubbed onto different tracks of the tape. And this started the first the first vocal they did on this is sung by Mike. And this is the version that was just released on the Feel Flows box set. And it was originally double-tracked, but one of the other vocals ended up taping over half of it, so we just mm. have the single-tracked vocal. Um, <laughs> the lyrics on this one are, are really funny. Yeah, it's it's like this dumb song about like getting a letter, and it's it's it sounds very Brian thematically, but I kind of wonder if Mike maybe wrote these, because... I don't know, it's not like him to not claim credit for something that you did, but he's the one who had brothers and sisters, and this song talks about having both brothers and sisters in like high school and college. Mm. Um, it's uh, this is the original 63 melody for the most part, sung by Mike. It's a very good vocal. He's kind of doing some wobbly vibrato on parts that he wouldn't usually do. It's, it's a very, very clean, nice vocal from Mike. Just when I feel no I, I love that uh, I'll be done here's a letter for me like spoken word thing it's so <laughs> pure in Beach Boys yeah yeah this is great um, and the the backing vocals are really great too um, I think that everyone is there except for I don't think Dennis, Dennis. on it yeah but yeah you, got, you got a nice tag section with all these sort of overlapping different vocal parts um, which the tag obviously became the chorus of the 15 Big Ones version, but here it's just like a sort of long fade out that goes on forever and ever. Um, everyone's got their own little part, and they're, they're all kind of singing in this like nasal, I guess what their idea of kind of country singing, like Brian's like sort of pinching his nose as he sings back home up high. Um, and they all sound really great on this as well. Mm. Um, this, this is one where actually I think Brian's, Brian's high voice really works. Uh, it's not it's not featured. He's not singing like a lead vocal, but just just the way he harmonizes all those backing parts, I think is really uh, I think it sounds really, really great. Okay, I was just gonna say there's an extra verse of um, the Mike vocal that was cut out of the multi-track because they didn't need it later when they were when they were kind of reworking it. They decided that it was maybe a bit too long, but um, that makes the the Mike version not make any sense narratively because it was a verse like towards the end of like, um, 
can't remember the exact lyrics, but it's something like, my sister had a high school graduation, now she's saving up to afford a car. And that leads into the guess I to send my congratulation thing, because otherwise that just comes out of nowhere. But that was spliced out on the multi-track and left at the end of the take. Um, but that's why it kind of, Mike has this graduation sort of congratulation thing comes absolutely out of nowhere, which brings us to kind of the chronology of how they worked on this song. So obviously, the Brian wasn't happy with it for whatever reason, and on January 19th, flash, uh, jumping forward a bit, he recorded a basic track for a new version, which was just started out with him playing it much more slowly on the piano by himself. Yeah, in, in, a, in a much higher key, too. Um, it's no longer kind of a, a bouncy, shuffle uh, country song. It's just a really gentle, you know, you just have this really nice arpeggiated piano part. Well, well, basically, Brian put down a piano. Um, it's, it's called a demo on the releases, but it actually came later, and it was going to be a basic track for a full studio version, you know, but they didn't get far with it. Basically, they added some scratch vocals, which um, completely different lyrics this time. The melody has changed. You know, Mike sings a little bit of this towards the end of, I think, the third verse before the bridge. He sings kind of this different version of the of the melody, and then that's the melody of, of like, this entire version. It's... It's like a, it's a much more elaborate melody that goes in different places, and I think it's much better and more catchy um, than the old one, which was very sort of simple. Um, and they did kind of like a couple of passes of scratch vocals, and then Al tried redoing the first verse himself, like singing it in a different style, and then they parked it from there. They didn't do anything more with this version. But the interesting thing is about these scratch vocals that were left on, which is for the most part Al singing some of it, and then Brian and Al singing together, and Carl's kind of just listening. Um, you can clearly tell from this that it's Brian teaching the others the lyrics of this one. Like Al is asking questions about what goes where and kept trying to learn the song from Brian. So it's kind of evidence that Brian wrote these sets of lyrics, this set of lyrics himself, and taught it to the others, even though it's sort of assumed that it was Al's doing because it was a countryish type thing. But these are Brian Wilson lyrics. These um, I'm sitting here on a windowsill looking down at the world below things, and it ties into. Um, the 68 thing on the on the list of songs that we're working on for 2020, which had um, Brian mentioned the fall line that was sort of on the half recorded here, but he brought it up in a 76 interview where he had the lyric, um, "I'm sitting here on a windowsill looking down at the neighborhood kids, thinking in my mind how important every child, every one child is." Um, that was the line he had, and then I guess that was he had two different versions on the go or something, and then like kind of just was experimenting with different approaches of the song, which isn't completely unusual. Like, he did that with Surfer's Roller 63. He had, like, three different sets of lyrics on that one um, before he recorded it. But, yeah, it's like a whole new, completely different version of the song, like a new melody over the same progression, um, loosely around the theme of Back Home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like... I really like all these lyrics, actually. I think I think they each each kind of bring something new to the table. Um, <laughs> it's there's so many different sets of lyrics between all the all the lyrics that were recorded here and Brian in that interview, and then of course there's the original, which was kind of brought back. Fifteen big ones. Um, Brian was evidently very very indecisive with the song, and not quite satisfied at this time. Uh, with what to do with it. Yeah, so at this point, it seems like, I mean, 
Al, it seems like Al kind of led the charge on changing it from here, but Brian was still involved. But it seems like the chronology of what happened is they did this new version of the song, parked it very quickly, and then they decided to go back to the original track that they recorded in December and do like kind of new lead vocals on it, um, changing it around to this theme. So from there, that's where you get the multiple Al Jardine lead vocals, where he has three different vocals on the multi-track, um, singing very slightly different lyrics in all of them. Um, eventually with some like a few revisions that I guess would have been Al's doing changing a few lines um, and he's singing the new melody over the old track and there's like all these new vocals in the bridge section as well there's like an elaborate group arrangement there with everyone again apart from Dennis singing um, I really like those lyrics as well it's um what are they again but the um back home the summer breeze comes gently flowing through backyards where folks keep sunflowers growing it's like got a a drop of the the album title in there, which I wonder if they knew that they were going to call the album Sunflower at the time when they yeah, it's a good question had that that lyric in there, but it's it's very nice. Um, and then that that's where we wind up with what is on Made in California. They recorded an extra verse towards the end of um, when I get back to the old stomping grounds and and stuff that they cut out on the multi track, and that they didn't need it for this version of the song, but it renders Mike's vocal kind of incomprehensible with a gap in it um and yeah so so it's like it's a completely different approach i tried a few different things singing it straight singing it with more kind of like a gritty style and and then um changing a few words around something about giving his thumb a try like a, a hitchhiking type lyric at the end it's it's a complicated history of the song <laughs> very and it gets even more complicated after this um do we want to go into what what they ended up doing with the song well we can do yeah so i mean may as well talk about it all together um in like august 1970 brian recorded yet another backing track that hasn't been released for this song which was like a more sort of produced version of the slow piano arpeggios approach in like the higher key um but this time the structure was a little bit different like the the bridge was repeated as a chorus and it's kind of, he had like, um, Al and Bruce, I think, played on that one as well. There's an organ, there's a bass, and then Brian overdubbed a tack piano on it. Um, and then from there, like, flash forward a few years later, to 1975 or early 76, they recorded what ended up being the 15 Big Ones version before 15 Big Ones came around. Um, and for that one, like the tag of the Sunflower version became a chorus, the bridge was gone, and then Brian went back to the original lyrics to record that one and then later on when they performed it on tour as well I haven't heard this but um, Craig Stolinski described it to us that um, Al was singing like some different lyrics about stealing hubcaps or something like it changed again when they did it live yeah it's 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 kind of ridiculous how many changes this song went through over all that time I feel like it, it, it's a good song but <laughs> did it need that many versions well, it's fun. It's fun. It is fun. Um, and this is this is one of the songs that that was sort of abandoned at the time. It wasn't on the submitted version of the Sunflower album. They didn't mix it at all at the time. Yeah, I guess they just um, went. Luckily, they didn't they didn't tape over it. Like, where is she? So we have the whole we have all these vocals and everything. But yeah, they were just it, perpetually unsatisfied with whatever they were doing with this one. Yeah, probably Brian in particular. Back home, back home, back home. 
we'll talk about the uh, the fifteen big ones version long in the future when we're doing when we're covering that album. Yeah, in like five years, we'll we'll talk about that one. <laughs> so, flashing back to December twenty fourth, still on Christmas Eve, they recorded basic tracks for two songs on that day, and the second one they recorded on that was a song called Fallen in Love, which was also later known as Lady uh, by Dennis. Flowers come in the spring All the love I can bring Bring it for my lady All I can do You know You know it's for my so this is the same group of people recording the basic track for this song. Uh, and actually, Dennis was, this is rare for the Beach Boys, Dennis was singing live uh, with the instruments during the basic tracking, which, which is something that I guess quite a few bands do or did, or you just have a scratch vocal, but, but not really the Beach Boys. Um, so this one had Carl and Al playing guitars, uh, acoustic and electric, um, and Brian playing the bass, uh, along with the, um, the Rhythm King drum machine that we talked about, which is sort of just underlying the whole song. Yeah, which, which um, gives it a really unique flavor for this one. Um, yeah, absolutely. Drum machine beats. For, and, and I guess it's also to mention that Carl recorded that thing in Gold Star by himself, which is just the core progression of the song. So you've got to wonder if Carl had That's some right. sort of input into writing this. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but it's... Sounds right. like he didn't get a... credit if he did because yeah. this was released at the time and he his name was not on there yeah but but then Carl didn't cre- get credit on some prints of like um, of, of, uh, it's about time like he was left off the, the sleeve on that one um, mm-hmm. even though he, he did write some of the music so who knows but um, yeah it's, 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 it's a simple love song it's just a, a simple simple but quite sort of dramatic chord progression that repeats and there's not a lot to it it's lyrically very simple it's just Dennis wrote this on his own without any collaborator and I think it kind of shows um, but Dennis sells it just on being Dennis and being kind of charismatic it, it works because of that um, the track they added some more things to it like a 12 string guitar and then some more electric guitars like all the electric guitars just playing like these sort of little like lead fills like just these little spikes every now and again there's a ukulele on there and Daryl Dragon played a piano part that was quite elaborate and and pretty, but that was just muted in the mix. They decided they didn't need the piano. I guess not too much to say about the the track itself uh, until we get into the um, string arrangement, which is really kind of the the big part of this song. And this was recorded, what, January 26th? Do I have that right? Yeah, same as all the other songs that got strings. They did a lot of songs. All at once, um, with this big session in Brian's house, and Desp told the story of this one, where basically the point the point of it was like mostly to do strings on Tears in the Morning and Our Sweet Love, and then they got take a lot of your feet in there as well, and they kind of unplanned. Um, Daryl and Dragon kind of, sorry, Daryl and Dragon, Dennis and Daryl, um, kind of schemed to do a string arrangement for this song as well, and then kind of at the like later in the session. They came in, uh, Daryl handed the sheet music to everyone and went to sort of conduct this thing and then they just like quickly whipped this off and everyone was like blown away by this string arrangement that Daryl kind of came up with out of nowhere. Like he 
they didn't really know who he was, even though, you know, he's a the son of Carmen Dragon, the famous conductor. But um, yeah, this kind of impressed everyone who was there and they didn't really realize that, um, they, you know, they, they didn't think much of it until this happened. And then they were kind of really impressed by it. And the, the way Jasper credits it is it was kind of Dennis's breakthrough as a songwriter where it got the rest of the group to really respect him and his contributions, which I, I don't know if that's true. It feels like Forever was kind of that breaking point for Dennis where he kind of broke mm-hmm. through as a serious songwriter yeah. in the group. But but still, it was, uh, it was, it was it's a nice story. Um, and the, the string arrangement, it's it's is very nice in this one. It's, it's like that that remix in 2009 for the Summer Love Songs comp kind of solos the strings at the, at the start. So you can hear what's going on. A lot of sort of these sweeping, like cinematic type kind of melodies in there. Yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, Dennis sounds great singing this too, mm. and I think it's pretty cool that Brian was just playing bass on it. He he tended to avoid just tracking when it was other people's songs. I mean, he 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 got involved with a lot of these songs later on the on the vocal side of things. But um, I don't know. It's kind of nice just imagining Brian Wilson as just a band member. Uh, playing on his brother's song, he do, does that on a few of these songs. He was kind of like keeping his opinions to himself, but obviously they were, you know, having Brian in the room. They all deferred to him whenever he had an idea. But he was sort of just like, no, I'm just going to sit in the back and play bass. Um, Dennis's vocal is very dry and upfront on the original mix, and Desper had a thing with Dennis where he was like, kind of, Dennis used to like to kind of try and bury his voice because he was insecure about his singing, and Desper said like, no, this one, I'm not putting any reverb on it and I'm not going to bury it and he kind of like forced him to have it really upfront and dry which um, makes the, the opening of the original mix very striking sort of you've just got the drum machine and Dennis kind of like two inches from from your ear singing very intimate sounding um, yeah it's a nice song it's 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 a simple one it's not one I listen to a lot but it's um, one that was on the original lineup of Sunflower that was rejected for whatever reason I think it's one that easily would have been worthy to make the album if if they kept it. It's it's kind of a mystery why this this one of everything got dropped. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's a chance that Dennis was just trying to save it for himself. He did end up putting this on the other side of Sound of Free. Yeah, it was it was a Dennis solo single, um, and then it was mm-hmm. performed with everyone Dennis else. Dennis and Rumbo. Yeah, they um, they did it on I think the Davis Frost show in um, nineteen seventy one. Where just uh, just Dennis singing it, and then the other the the rest of the band backing him when they did TV show. So that's kind of cool. It's part of his little solo spot for a while. That is really cool. And this is another one of those tracks that Brian Brian brought back for American Spring when they were recording in January of '73. And um, according to some of the musicians who were there. Uh, for those sessions, Brian was really proud of this song, and he really, really liked it. Yeah, which is nice because you you don't get to hear much about him praising Dennis songs, but he was obviously no. a fan enough of this one to just use the original production and 
and have new vocals added to it. And Brian, I think, sings on the spring, on the spring version. You can hear um, Diane does a really nice lead vocal, and there are some new backing vocals that aren't in the original, uh, arranged by Brian, and you can just about hear his voice in there. I think I kind of prefer the spring version because of the because of the backing vocals on it. It starts a mm. little bit more kind of like something more dynamic to it, but hey. Um, yeah, I do like it, but but Dennis's voice is just just perfect for it for me. Yeah, yeah. So continuing this endless string of songs, there's so many to get through, but we're gonna try. January 26th, the day after Christmas, they are back in the studio and um, tracking an early version of Suzy Cincinnati, Al Jardine's first solo credited Beach Boys song. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. This is a track that hasn't been released anywhere. Uh, the structure was a little bit different from the final version, um, and they recorded this again with all the Beach Boys, uh, with Brian just sort of being the bassist of the band. Um, with Carl on guitar, Dennis on drums, and Bruce on piano, and Al was just sort of producing the track, uh, just listening, not playing anything. Um, and they, they spent the session doing it in pieces and sort of spliced it together because there were a lot of uh, really sharp shifts in the song. Um, but they set the track aside and ultimately started over. Um, a little bit later. Yeah, this was a so, much more this was a much more sort of Beach Boysy track than the original and it was much more sort of straight ahead kind of rock song with Dennis sort of heavy drumming on it, but um, they didn't do any overdubs and it's just one that they clearly didn't do anything else with after that one day of recording. Um, so going into the backstory of the song, I mean we'll talk about the final version a little bit later, but I wrote it um, inspired by a, a female cab driver in Cincinnati and um, it's, I just find it really funny that the lyrics kind of just call this poor woman ugly, basically. And then like in 76, when they finally put the song on an album, there was a whole thing about like the real Susie Cincinnati and stuff. And Al posed with this this cab driver who, if you look at the dates, she could not have been the inspiration for the song. It doesn't add up. Like, she, no, she, and she I think she even said that she doesn't remember it. Yeah, so she wasn't the real Susie Cincinnati, but never, nevertheless, she had to pose and these newspaper article photos with Al Jardine looking happy when he basically just called her ugly in a song that wasn't even supposed to be about her, but now it's been put on her. <laughs> like it's, it, yeah, crazy. Um, and <laughs> Al said the other thing that got him to write this song was it was a put on in regards to a group called The Flame in his exact words, because um, The Flame were recording in Brian's house at the time and Al kind of thought, well, if they can, you know, do it why can't we so it was his attempt i guess to write a song in the style of the flame like just a sort of like beatlish up-tempo um rock song it doesn't sound anything like anything the flame recorded at the time but you can kind of no. put two and two together and and see where it's coming from there um and it, yeah it's i mean we know that he wrote don't go near the water in about 68 and was hanging on to that for a while but this is the first time al's had a song recorded by the beach boys um that's just credited to himself I mean, I don't know 
if there's any other our songs out there before that apart from Italia that was recorded from by Murray Wilson um for the many moods of Murray Wilson which was called Pink Champagne when I wrote it in like 63 or so yeah um so I mean it's noteworthy for that I think we'll let's hold off on talking about it more until we get to the other version yeah so skipping ahead um now we get to something that doesn't usually get mentioned very much at all by anyone um a session on january 2nd 1970 that was there's an afm contract for um that just says untitled l.s3 and it was a brian wilson productions thing um it's not the first of these as well there was a session in like early november that was another like a load of studio musicians at brian's house for some untitled thing that we still don't know what it was but we do know what this january thing was and it was a song called silly walls that has been going around on bootlegs for a while um going back many decades and uh with this unknown guy singing lead with brian and marilyn sort of helping out on backup it was a lot of session musicians at brian's house um including mike rubini playing keyboards uh, ron benson and alva scova on guitars don peak also on guitar ray Pullman on bass and john gurin on drums there was the whole horn section there was some strings um, and it's this very mysterious outside production that was just recorded in the middle of the Sunflower period, of which we know very little. Then you kiss me, and my walls begin to tremble. The words of love, they fell upon me like a crown. Yeah, so so this song has been on Beach Boys bootlegs since I think the 80s and has always been credited to um, David Sandler, uh, but this is not David Sandler. Um, it's not his voice. We even checked with him. Yeah, he, t- he told me, nope, I had nothing to do with whatever this song is. So, And he hadn't met Brian yeah. at the point this was recorded. No, no, he he had not met Brian, um, but uh, this usually gets talked about as a David Sandler song. I think it's even quoted as such in in um, the David Leaf book. But um, we don't actually know who this is. Uh, if anyone out there has information on this mysterious man that Brian Wilson produced in 1970, please, we want to know. Please, we need to know. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing that again just comes out of absolutely nowhere. Desper seems to not remember the song at all. I guess the only person who might remember something about it at this point is Marilyn, because um, she sings on it. Brian kind of sings a harmony at one point as well, and and uh, and and you know Marilyn and Diana there in the backing vocals. This guy singing lead, he's an okay singer. Don't know who he is. Um, it's it's a simple song that we don't think Brian wrote. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't know what, yeah, I I just don't know what there is to say about this, but it's got some of the sunflower sort of hallmarks of the era. It's got like uh, those country-ish sort of guitars riffing all over the place. Um, It's got similar drums to some of the things on these other productions. It's 
It's uh, got a nice organ solo in there. These honking sort of Brian Wilson horns in the background. Um, a swell of violins at one point. It's 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 pretty cool. It's a cool production. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, the song isn't much. Uh, I like the lyrics, but it's a it's a very simple song. It does. I I I really don't think that Brian wrote it. I think he probably came across a singer songwriter who already had it and just you know decided to do his his Brian Wilson Productions thing that he seemed to do every once in a while when he was inspired or bored or both. Yeah, this seems like another Don Goldberg situation, but for like someone who's never spoken to anyone about it. So, you know, like we would know nothing about Out in the Country unless and Sweet and Bitter unless Don Goldberg had shown up out of the blue and had a whole tribute band and stuff with his family and written a book about it. And but you know, bef- before that, it was com- like these things were completely unknown about. So I think this is a situation, a similar situation where like a friend of Brian for a while was you know. Brian got interested in him and decided to just produce him on a single that was never signed to a label and never released. But we, you know, that we have some theory of who it could be um, in what was recorded on the, on the same reel. So on the same reel as this song, Brian recorded a version of a song called Awake, which was credited to a mysterious guy called Floyd Tucker, of which we know absolutely nothing at all. Um, although he was described in the Phil Flo's liner notes as obscure rocker Floyd Tucker, which I think was just made up out of nowhere. Um, we don't know anything about this guy <laughs> other than his name. And through research, we know that there was a guy around Brian's age who lived in Southern California, um, but sadly is no longer with us. And we have not been able to contact anyone who knew anything about him. Um, but yeah, this song called Awake is kind of like a nursery rhyme type thing almost it's it was full title was um awake while she sleeps it was copyrighted in early 1971 but indications are brian recorded it around january 1970 during the sunflower period and uh this is just brian playing piano and then he overdubbed a double track lead vocal and it seems like he was there without desper even in the studio like he set up the mics and then got marilyn to press record as kind of the the engineer i guess of this session um and it's it's another simple song, a bit like um, Silly Walls. It's, it's and uh, Brian sings it solo, and I, I guess maybe the the unknown singer on Silly Walls was was Floyd Tucker who who wrote this one, but we don't know. But that's the best guess that we we have. They're uh, they're similar sounding songs. They're they're both you know three four chord um, songs that that were maybe written on guitar or just written by someone who wasn't quite an elaborate songwriter like Brian Wilson. Um, yeah, if, if anyone knows anything about Floyd Tucker or about the song Silly Walls, uh, or if you are the person that sang Silly Walls, <laughs> please come forth. That'd be crazy if the person who sang it is like, listen to this podcast. <laughs> We get some interesting listeners sometimes. You never know. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, so and th- this song—it's kind of—it's—it's it's fairly nice. It's kind of boring as well, and some of it's—I think it goes on too long. But um, the, I, probably the most interesting thing about it is Brian singing this thing solo with a very, very shrill lead vocal. Um, kind of the absolute peak of his sort of thin sunflower voice, where he's really accentuating that thin sort of elf-like. Um, head voice he was doing it like it cuts right through you this vocal it's an, it's an odd sounding thing um, quite moving in its own way 
and sometimes I'm really in the mood to listen to it and sometimes I'm like oh turn that shit off It's not my favorite mm. performance. It, it's it it really um, great sometimes. I mean, it's 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 Brian completely leaning into that uh, really thin sound he had at this time. Yeah, he Which sounds great in the lower range when he's single tracked at the beginning. It's he, it's it, that's really good sound. He does, yeah. But uh, yeah, some of the notes on this are very scratchy and like ooh. Like he, I don't think it's a natural sound. I think he was kind of pushing this just to sound like this deliberately for whatever reason. Um, just a, an effect he was he was into for a while. Um, yeah. And, and it was kind of talked about as a, as a demo for Spring, but I don't think it was. I think it was just Brian doing a thing off the cuff at the while at the, at the time. Maybe as a B-side to the Silly Wolves thing, if he, if he was trying to start like an imaginary band or something with this strange mysterious stranger who may or may not be Floyd Tucker who knows um I don't know it's 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 a very um spontaneous thing like on the tape Brian initially decides um that he's going to do a cappella, like all the instruments sung by himself and Marilyn sounds kind of sleepy and she's like yeah sure whatever and then Brian goes up to the mic and spends like a whole two minutes going it's like a bass line that he didn't do anything with before he decided to play it on piano and and sing it normally Um, yeah yeah this is quite mysterious still and I hope we can eventually find someone who knew something about it and and kind of um, decipher what was going on here but it was recorded later on for the spring album and again david sadler didn't know anything about where it came from he was like oh it's a nice song but i i don't know who brought it to brian or or who wrote it so um yeah i I, i'm sure marilyn would remember something about about this guy i really hope Uh, so (laughs) because i mean she was privy to all of brian's uh side projects and all his his little obsessions and uh you know whenever he would discover someone discover in quotes because they're usually they usually weren't a, a a massive talent or at least they didn't go on to success um so oh well we don't have too much information about yeah about floyd tucker or about either of these two songs i've i've wondered for a while if floyd tucker was like just like a pseudonym for brian like as a joke like you know f tucker you know this the i don't know <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, I mean what else, yeah, what else do you think when you see that name pop up somewhere? But it, I think it was a real guy. Like you can, you can look up. There was a guy around Brian's age who lived in, who lived in Los Angeles, um, and then died in about two thousand something. Um, I think he existed. I think he was a real man. But who knows? Oh yeah, yeah. Floyd and Tucker. Was, yeah, it was the full name. Floyd Neil Tucker. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't think it's a pseudonym because we have. A guy singing "Silly Walls" that is not Brian, so 
Who knows? Anyways, let's let's move on back some more Beach Boys sessions. Yeah, let's, let's get back to things we know something about. So, the next song is um, the absolute peak of Brian Cos playing as a normal guy. A song called "I Just Got My Pay." A great song. So th- this was a Brian Wilson and and Al Jardine co-write. This is hilarious. <laughs> Brian pretending like he he relies on checks from the Radiant Radish to uh, <laughs> to make his living. It's yeah. It. I mean, there's uh in some of those photo sessions of the Sunflower um, sessions, you can see some Brian handwritten lyrics for this song that were a little bit different to what was recorded, and it's just mm. they're they're so funny. It's like my fa- I think my favorite line is like that incredibly non-specific. It's time to do my woken thing. I'm late, so I got to roll. Like it's it's so clearly written by a guy who knows nothing about what he's writing about, but he's who's never worked, but he's very enthusiastic <laughs> about it. And it's it's a song about how great working nine to five is and getting paid at the end of the month, and <laughs> it's 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 hilarious. It's like it's, but it's also quite maybe psychologically revealing about you know Brian's whole thing of like he was intentionally working at a health food store and like trying to run the checkout. He was trying to have some semblance of a of a normal existence, and from that, it's like a sort of weird out- outsider perspective looking in and. And trying to assimilate into that culture that he, he's just not familiar with. Um, so it's 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 not just a throwaway dumb comedy song. There are like layers to this. There's something going on in here. Um, but but yeah, um, when they recorded it, it's it's a fascinating track. That's like a, a combination of like the absolute dumbest music possible, and then some really interesting ideas. So the track again, it was all the Beach Boys. Um, Brian was playing piano, Carl was playing 12 string rhythm guitar, uh, Bruce on bass and Dennis on drums. And um, it's the, the, the basic tracking for this was just Dennis going thump, 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 for so much of it. Like, you know, you get that intro where it's like all the Beach Boys singing in unison, um, I guess with Mike an octave down, but it's just this like sort of working man chant. Um, which is really funny, but like, there's nothing going on other than a kick drum just going boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's a working man chant to the yeah. melody of "All Dressed Up for School." No, no, hang on. This is the melody oh, to no. Mar- Marcella, and then the verse that That's comes right. Yeah, is, the, um, the melody to what would become Marcella, and then we also have what would become the chorus of Marcella. <laughs> I love spending my money. One of one arm over my shoulder. It's the same thing, pretty much. Yep, yep. Yeah, but then the verse. Um, like I could take and suck away my dough part that Mike sings is the melody of all dressed up for school. Um, yep. and then the, <laughs> it's, and it's then the a co- weird, the chorus of all dressed up for school kind of becomes that, uh, let's get undressed and climb in bed part. It comes on later. It's this cool sort of assimilation of different ideas. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, a, a new song mixed with an old song that will Bec- become <laughs> that will another later turn song. into, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's another one of those those tracks that just feels pulled from several dis- different places, which it is, um, and I like that. It's 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 like a bunch of sections that just kind of repeat after this this alarm clock comes in the middle of the song. Oh yeah, the alarm uh, clock, That's which so is great. hilarious. I mean, Steve Desper said that the alarm clock was like the last thing to be added into it, and it was balanced on like a on like a plank of words to time to fall over at the exact right moment. Um, and it was it was the final element, but he said, you know, you never know with Brian if he had it in his head the entire time to to have this alarm clock transition. Um, 
should be noted so, that this is a, this is a modular production. It's it's Smile. It is basically Smile. It was recorded in different sections and then copy pasted with different vocals over those different sections. The B section was kind of just organ and drums and bass. Um, very simple, very goofy with that funny organ sound that Brian liked to come back to every now and again. Um, with this sort of like building harmony stack of Carl comes in and then Mike comes in below and then Al above and then finally Brian and it just repeats and repeats. Um, so I know that in the past when we've discussed if we could go back in time to one day what would it be? The Lost Surf Subsession, some of the heroes and villains uh, pieces. I'd want to see the alarm clock that, yeah, balanced that, on that plank of wood. That would be fun. That would be a good one. Um, more instrumentation of this on that horn session they had on January 9th. They added these things that seem to just be completely out of place, but in their own kind of way work. Like this whole section of muted trumpets just sort of blasting away. And then there's a French horn in there um, that's just doubling Brian's left, on the, left hand on the piano. This really cool um, left hand that kind of like, it feels like sort of a precursor to Ding Dang, like the intro is very similar to the piano figure that Brian plays here. But here the, the French horn is just doubling that and it's this very sort of goofy sounding, like frumpy, I don't know how you describe it other than frumpy, sort of low down like boom, 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 boom. It's it, like you don't really notice that there's a French horn in there, but there is a French horn. Um, and I'm sure the guy playing it had a lot of fun doing this one. Um, but yeah, then you get this mixture of like from that dumb sort of working chant at the start over the kick drum, and then all of a sudden it breaks into like these incredibly like like rich and complicated moving harmony parts. And it's again one of those fascinating Brian things of like the dumb mixed with the sophisticated that makes this stuff so good, even when it's seems to be very simple on the surface yeah yeah I, I i totally agree with that and there's a lot of that in this whole world like really really simple dumb lyrics and it just sounds so majestic yeah and and you get that here the the working chant is hilarious because the beach boys are known for their harmony and to hear them all singing in unison like they're marching uh is just really <laughs> bizarre really funny Monday morning I'm up and at it Those last two days were good for my soul It's time to do my working thing I'm late so I gotta roll My take home comes to about at it five And my boss has given me some praise Yeah, then, then you get that um, In the middle of all these harmonies Bruce sings a little lead vocal This is definitely Bruce's era for Brian liking him as a vocalist and featuring him in places um, it's, it's funny if you listen if you, if you look at the original lyrics that were written, uh, Brian wrote down they have um, Ooh, let's get dressed up we're going out dear I just got my pay but then the final one is changed to let's get undressed and climb in bed dear um, <laughs> I wonder if I'll change that I don't know but <laughs> or someone had a change of heart yeah there's kind of a couple of uh, there's kind of a couple of those themes leak into Brian's songs at this time, this like a, 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 a scandalous undercurrent, these innocent Beach Boys songs. <laughs> Very silly song, very funny. Um, 
I completely understand why it was rejected from the first version of Sunflower and they didn't put it out, yeah. but I, I wish it was on there. You know, I I come to the Beach Boys for Brian Wilson's weird music, so. <laughs> you know what? Me too. Great work, as always, Will and John. We've got one more episode of Session Breakdown for the Sunflower Era, and then uh, we'll probably do a wrap-up episode uh, with a special guest. So look forward to that. Really proud of what we're doing over here. And, of course, lots more where that came from. So until next time, thanks to Will C. for the great music. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show and continues to listen. You guys are awesome. I love you very much. Take good care of your feet. Sail on, sailors. so that we might set the seven seas ablaze with fear.